Hello there, and welcome to the podcast of the best-selling travelogue around the world in 80 cigars. It features fascinating people, amazing places, daft adventures, and great cigars from across the globe. You can buy the book from all good bookshops, from your favourite cigar merchant, or if you'd like your own personally signed copy, you can get one direct from me by emailing nick at nick-hammond.com. Enjoy the pod. How would you like to feature in your very own episode of Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast? Host and author Nick Hammond, that's me, is now ready, willing and able to interview you personally for your very own unique and bespoke episode of the pod. It'll be available for just you and your friends. The perfect gift for the adventurous cigar-loving special one in your life, or just a treat to yourself. This exclusive podcast edition will be presented by me and delivered to you electronically edited and complete with podcast music. Visit www.nick-hammond.com or drop me a line at nick at nick-hammond.com to find out more. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Around the World in 80 Cigars with me, Nick Hammond. Thank you for joining us. It's a, it's a wet and fairly chilly day here, but not so where my guest is, the swine, although he has been shut indoors because he's got workmen banging and crashing <laughs> not very far away, which has really frustrated him because he can't enjoy his traditional morning smoke. Today's guest, He's a, a very modest, self-effacing man. He, he doesn't go about shouting about himself. He's gone about his business expertly and without fuss or fanfare for many years. Uh, and perhaps like many of the taciturn men from the country he so admires, he's built a love affair and a business around the mysterious water which hails from the green and wild land up north. He's embraced its culture, its people, its craftsmen and its history. And the result, after a, uh, a whole lifetime in the spirits industry, is the exceptional whiskey. I'm very proud to have with me today, live from sunny California, the great Don Sutcliffe. Can you hear me, Donald? Now, if I know, hang on, I need to unmute you first. <laughs> there you go. There we are. There you are. How are you, Don? I'm doing terrifically. I was looking over my shoulder to see, or see maybe you had somebody else coming on the line. <laughs> very kind, very kind of you. Not at all. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I know that you've listened to virtually all of the podcasts, which is wonderful and very, um, very, very uh, reassuring for me because when you know you know you've been in business you put your heart your soul your life into these things and then you sit back and wait and see what's going to happen and you never know do you no you sure don't but let me preface uh, my my our chat here uh my bride gail sends her regards uh oh, to you your family particularly your daughters she's quite smitten with your daughters oh, love, lovely and uh so yeah uh, about the, the podcast, and, and I mentioned this to you, but, I, you know, um, the thing that is so terrific about the podcast, two things. Uh, one is you're a storyteller, um, and, and therefore how you approach a chat and a conversation is about story and, and, and what, people, what, what people, what makes people uh, what they are. Mm. So uh, I've just been intrigued and really delighted by every one of your podcasts because uh, the, the common denominator uh, is the humanity uh, of of it. Uh, and as opposed to coming from things from the from the end result and discussing that, it's it's really about the conversation with all of the people, what makes them who they are, and and. The, that's the common denominator. They all are doing something that they're absolutely passionate about, uh, um, and and the result of what they are are doing or have done 
is is exceptional. And and so it's really wonderful. I spend every time the podcast comes out, I I take plan an hour, I get out a cigar, I sit in my courtyard, get a cup of coffee or whiskey, depending on what it is, and uh, listen. And it's always just delightful. So there we go. Oh, that's kind of you to say so, Don. And, and, and tell you what, one of the things that gives me greatest pleasure, and it, this I know will resound with you as well with what you do, is the thought of somebody sitting down and having that time to themselves that they really look forward to and really enjoy. And whether that's with my book or the podcast, it is me time. And you know that there's nothing more important um, in a way to keep yourself sane and keep your mind and body going. And it just, I think it's a fabulous thing that you can talk to people in that moment in, or, you know, educate them for want of a better description in a nice way uh, and introduce them to, to people that they wouldn't ordinarily have met and you know that make them that we all need reminding sometimes the world's not the terrible place that it's depicted yeah. often you know there are some incredible exactly. people out there doing amazing things aren't there that's exactly right and uh, I, I think the things uh the words i might use would be uh, certainly entertain but as well enlighten and engage and uh, i feel with all of all of the podcasts i mean as i told you i'm the problem for you is when next time over, you're going to have to prepare a meal on your oven out in the garden because <laughs> I'm just absolutely intrigued uh, with that. And I and, and who to thunk, as I like to say. I mean, I, yeah. I had no awareness of these ovens. And not only that, the story uh, in South Africa um, about it uh, is is about him. Yeah, was, about was Jay Emery. Great. Yeah, and he's an amazing man. I mean. And he was a ski instructor and, and he flies paragliders and stuff. I mean, these, these people are just, you think, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> exactly. Well, so, so I am fortunate. Um, and, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, making whiskey, is to, to really engage and enjoy all of that storytelling. Yeah. Meeting people, wonderful people, cigars and whiskey allow that. Uh, and, and you get past kind of the the walls uh you know one of the unfortunate things on in society right now is just the the taking sides and 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 not having uh the contact with people um to allow context which then allows discussion yeah you know and so the great thing about sitting down for a cigar at souder is you know you know you're gonna get you know you're gonna get hammered uh, you know, for, for whatever, you know, because it's like being with family. But the context is everyone there uh, shares a passion, uh, shares the enjoyment of other people's company. And so by the time you get to yelling at each other about their football uh, team, you know, and or their politics or whatever, it's all in, you know, good fun. Shall yeah, say. exactly. It's all, all in the, it's all in the context of wonderful people who can have as many different ideas and why would you want to have only people who have the same ideas around you? Well, it'd you be know? very boring very quickly, wouldn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And Lawrence makes me laugh because, you know, he, he his favorite pastime is to give you absolute pelters all the time, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Especially well, me. And now, cause I'm sitting next to him, of course, he's got a sitting target. So I get hammered for being little or, you know, <laughs> Or a lightweight, for normal sizes, I would like to exactly, say. Don. Exactly, I've got, a, I've got a, a colleague in you. Tell us how you started the whiskey business, because it intrigues me that you know a, a, a son of America comes over, and so and, and and what I haven't mentioned is you so fell in love with the culture and the, and it surprised me you didn't move here. Actually, I guess it was the weather that did it, but um. Well, exactly. To such an extent that your daughter even, you know, got seriously into Highland dancing and was entering competitions all over the world and stuff. Is that true? That is true. So um, the short version, and by the way, short version, again, context is important. You yeah. know, so what do we have an hour? So this, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so in, uh, I've been in the wine and spirits business all my adult life. And um, I Early on uh, in the middle 80s, um, I was uh, working for the Remy Martin Group, and we, we have represented the McAllen. We had some ownership at the time. The McAllen 
we introduced Macallan in the United States in 1985. Okay. Uh, and, and I was introduced to Macallan, and I just fell in love with it. And, and uh, but prior to that, I, I didn't care for Scotch whiskey at all. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. And, but I tasted the Macallan, and I said, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. Took my first trip to Scotland in 1987, September of 1987. And uh, uh, Willie Phillips, who was the managing director, mm. invited a group of executives from the U.S. over. And we were all on a bus, and he took us, uh, you know, flew into Edinburgh, uh, did some things, went up to the distillery, uh, went to Glasgow, did assortment of things. I was absolutely, from, from the moment I set foot uh, on the soil, I just felt this, this connection. Uh, now, my grandmother was Scottish. Right. And, and, uh, and I, but we never had any real kind of connection to Scotland or, or understanding of it, really, other than she was quite Scottish. Um, and, and after I spent, we spent uh, a week, a little over a week there, and I don't think I slept the entire time. I was just so absolutely <laughs> energized. Did, it, and, did uh, you have any um, expectations before you got there? Not, not really. Okay. Not really. I mean, I, I, I knew, you know, I, I knew some basics and stuff, but I just thought this is going to be wonderful. And Willie Phillips, uh, who was the managing director, and he was managing director of McAllen from 1973 to 96 when Highland took over. Yeah. And, uh, there wasn't a bottle of McAllen sold outside of Scotland when he started. And uh, wow. so, and he was quite the man. And he understood that selling the Scotch whiskey, the Macallan, was not simply about uh, the whiskey, but it was about Scotland. And, and it was about the people of Scotland and, and the story and all of that. And so yeah. he, he it, his whole project was about bringing people there, getting people to understand and be part of the team and uh, so as much as we were on a bus and we were heading uh, up Loch Lomond and the bus pulls over and there's about uh, about 30 of us and, uh, pulls over and down a little lane uh, and then stops and he stands up Willie stands up and says uh, okay come here and everybody stands up he says no everybody sit down Sutcliffe you come here and so I said okay and we walked out got out of the bus we walked down right above the shores of Loch Lomond. There's a little village called Luss. And he, he said, uh, okay, so your grandmother had lived in one of those, and there's about 15 cottages, no. because my grandmother grew up in Luss, and he knew that. Oh, and, uh, and so it was, you know, I, this connection was absolutely amazing. So and that is such a the, beautiful place as well, isn't it? Oh, oh absolutely stunning. Yeah, breathtaking, yeah. And, and so we, we got to this distillery. We, we played golf. We did a couple of things. The last night, they had a Cayley for us. And they had uh, Highland dancers and the whole nine yards. I mean, it was absolutely fabulous. And we just uh, had a great time. I ended up wearing a kilt. Willie took, you know, traded me as the, I was wearing his <laughs> kilt. I mean, it was all the, the usual, the, the things you would expect. Yes, yeah. True. So I got home uh, from the trip. And uh, Gail was pregnant with our daughter, Courtney, uh, at the time. So this was September, and Courtney was born in November, which okay. is why she didn't go on the trip. So, uh, so I, I, I come home and I say, this is the best trip I've ever been on in my <laughs> life, which, by the way, I suggest not the best approach. Didn't go to down well. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, to, to a seven-month pregnant uh, woman mm. uh, who, would you come back, bottles of scotch. Sites. <laughs> and, uh, but so I said... Uh, I said, by the way, when our daughter is born and gets uh, old enough, she's got to do Scottish Island dancing. And, and of course, my wife, who you've, you know, <laughs> is not Scottish, uh, or, or, and she's Japanese-American. Mm. And, and she said, uh, she looked at me and said, what, what are you talking about? She had no idea what, you know, a Scottish Island dancing was. How I much said, well, whiskey have you drunk? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, don't worry. I said, we'll sort this out. So... When my daughter, you know, time goes on, and, and when my daughter got to be six or seven, and she was doing ballet and all that sort of thing, and there was a troupe of Highland dancers that came through our, our hometown, and, 
uh, for, and, and I said, that's Highland dancing. I said, see if, if there's a teacher. So uh, Gail talked to the teacher. She had a teacher. And so we, we set Courtney up to do it. And I convinced her to do it. And simply because I thought it was a, you know, a wonderful cultural type of event. Plus it's very family oriented. Uh, they have, you know, Highland games all over the place and, and that sort of thing. I just thought it would be neat if she, she would try it and do it. Turns out uh, she was quite good. She was um, a five-time U.S. champion. Uh, we no traveled way. the world. We traveled the world. Um, you know, the Canada, the U.S., uh, the U.K. Every year we were in Scotland for um, the last two weeks of August uh, for World Championships, uh, and it just kept this connection uh, yeah. with Scotland. And and at, when I had left in 1987 in when I left that trip, I just, I had this, this epiphany at, at the evening, somehow or other for the rest of my life, I wanted to be connected with Scotland, hopefully Scotch whiskey, hopefully the Macallan, but, but certainly Scotland. And, and so this became just a, an intention, you know, I said somehow. And so certainly this Highland dance kind of kept us connected. We made incredible friends. We were in Scotland every year. Uh, made incredible friends. Willie and I kept our our communications together, and and Willie and I, from the beginning, developed a, a friendship and had said we would always wanted to work together. Uh, and you know things would come up over the course of time, and you know didn't work out or whatever. And then in uh, in let's see, um, two thousand and ten. Uh, Willie, now I, I had gone on and, and I, I was, I've stayed in the business. I was managing director of a little company called craft distillers. We were the, actually the first craft distiller in the United States was, uh, Germain Rubin brandy, which was created uh, in 1982 by my partner here, uh, Ansley Cole. Um, and then we started the craft distilling platform and we built a vodka brand, which was the first successful craft, uh, commercially successful craft product it was called the hanger one vodka okay. and we sold that we sold that to um the jose cuervo group uh in 2010 and at that time uh, willie uh, called me and said don uh, i've got a group and we're going to buy a distillery uh would you run our north american business and i said wow. absolutely you know i said what you know what what does that entail? I said, Don, however you want to do it. He said, you know, so I said, great. I set up licenses, did all that sort of thing. And then uh, after due diligence and, and uh, it, it took about nine months and then the deal fell through at the very last minute. So, mm-hmm. and it was Tam due to, it was Tam due distillery and it felt deal fell through. And, and actually the deal fell through, I think, because at that time, uh, whiskey uh, was, had, had been growing. But that was right about the time that whiskey worldwide just took off. And so the valuation of, of the whiskey stock uh, from the, top, the time they made the deal to the time the deal was going to be signed almost doubled. Really? And so, so they, you know, I think they, they got out of it to sold it to somebody else with substantially more money. But so there we were. Uh, and I said, uh, Willie and I all along the way had said we wanted to work together, do something. And I knew here was the time. So that was in 2010, 10 years ago. So I was 57 and Willie was almost 70. I said, you know, if we're going to do something, uh, we probably ought to get to it. <laughs> so so I, I, I flew over, uh, you know, and I, I presented this concept. Uh, which is is what we are now doing, and at the time it was you know Project B was that was the title simply because Project A had been the distillery and that fell through. Um, so I proposed to Willie the concept, and and it was based on a couple of things. One is uh, I had always been involved with some really terrific brands as part of teams building really wonderful brands, um, and part of doing that is part of the excitement of that is building something that brings value uh, to the to a category and not simply uh, dollar value but something like an evolution or, or or something different and something distinctive right and so when we did McAllen I mean people now look at it McAllen is one of the great 
yeah. platforms in the world for algorithms, right? But at the time, in the first year, we sold less than 500 cases, total Macallan in the United States. I oh, wow. um, But Macallan was very significant in, in the growth and the evolution and the building of, of the Scotch whiskey business, particularly the single malt business worldwide. Um, and, and people now look and say, well, how, how tough could that have been? Well, it was tough. I mean, you know, McAllen is a, is a wonderful brand. And, and, you know, we'd walk in, you walk into a store or a restaurant, you say, you know, I've got this wonderful, and I say, well, hey, what, what do I need that? I already have a single malt whiskey, right? You know, or maybe they had two and McAllen yeah. was more expensive. I mean, so, you know, so it was a significant project to, to build that for, several reasons in the category the single malt business was just starting to grow the premium uh, valuation uh and 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 distinctiveness uh was different so so i i said to willie look if we're going to do something it has to be something that brings value i mean that's this distinctive that's an evolutionary thing now a distillery would have been would have been great because it's it's distinctive, whatever it is, it's yours. It's it's a style, and, yeah. and, and you can do what you want with it, right? But other than that, you know, I said just to do independent bottlings or other uh, or, or other things that people already do well. Uh, why bother? You know, it's not worth it just for the commerce. You know, so but what if? You know, the, one of the things about uh, the Scotch whiskey business that I had always thought was missing. You have the two types of whiskey. You have blended Scotch whiskey, and by definition, blended Scotch whiskey was um, cost efficient and constant. Um, so it, you could make it the same all the time, and it was low cost uh, because so you used a lot of grain whiskey, three years old, um, and and so you'd make a house style, and, and it's a wonderful product. And but back then, everybody was drinking that anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and again. It wasn't complex whiskey. It wasn't, you know, it, it, was, it was house styles and, and, and uh, it was good quality, right? And then it evolved to the single malt business. And the single malt is much more distinctive uh, based on, you know, region uh, and, and style, okay? But again, it's, it's single dimensional complexity, meaning all you, ha- you have whiskey, wood, and water. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and one style. Okay. So I had always thought the one thing that was missing in Scotch whiskey, uh, was really the complex, well-made blended whiskey. That would be the next step from single malt, but you needed to do the transition from the standard blend to single malt. So people could understand the difference in, in distilleries and style and such and be willing to pay more for it. And then if you, and then if you said, well, what if you made whiskey by blending the best you, you can find each and every time you make it to make it complex and complexity consists of two things, you know, different, different, uh, uh, distilleries. So different types of whiskey, right. Uh, or I mean, different uh, flavor profiles and ages. So if you blend, and to make really great whiskey, you can't. You can make really good whiskey in millions and millions of bottles, but but to make really great whiskey, um, especially blended whiskey, if, if you keep it small, there's always bits and bobs that you that are out in warehouses uh, mm. find and blend to make great whiskey. And so, what did um, what did Willie make of that? your idea did he agree or did he look at you and think mm, not well sure, or well he, he thought two different things he thought blended as blended whiskey and particularly blended malt whiskey he thought was a was a terrific idea however i wanted to to start with and to do specifically um blended grain whiskey because no one was doing blended grain whiskey okay and yeah. with one exception at the time compass box hedonism which is the wonderful product which is actually my little company was the first marketing company in the u.s for compass box back in 2000 uh, right. and and it was and and when i tasted hedonism the first bottling it changed my view of what whiskey could be it's really? much it, it's harder to it's harder to make <coughs> excuse me complex 
um, grain whiskey and flavored grain whiskey than it is malt whiskey um, for, for for two reasons. One is uh, you, you you distill grain on a on a column still and take it to a higher alcohol level, uh, and by definition that means you're taking out more more flavor. So you have a much more neutral spirit at, right. at the end. So you're getting the flavor profile from from wood mostly, right? Uh, and malt whiskey, of course, you distill on a pot still to a lower alcohol level uh, in a longer period of time to extract more flavor. So you start with much much more flavor. And when you say grain, what are we talking about, Don? So so grain can be any grain. It's generally corn, uh, wheat, uh, and barley. Right. Uh, and uh, and in, in most it, which almost bar- and then single malt is is 100% malted barley. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so anyway, uh, and and so the Scots had never used grain for anything other than the base for their blend of whiskeys. But in in America, almost all of the whiskey is, is grain whiskey. Okay. It, and and the difference in so it, it's much sweeter and much softer. Yes, in general, is bourbon grain led then? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, mostly mostly corn, and in fact, most of the most of the whisk, grain whiskey in Scotland now is is corn, corn and wheat, but uh, more so corn. Right. Um, so, I thought, uh, and I have a very American palate. I have, a, you know, I like things a little softer, a little sweeter. And the difference between American grain whiskey is that it goes oh, by law, the whiskey goes into new cask, new wood. So is there a reason for that? Is that to stimulate more, the industry, or um, I, it's how it was started, you know? And and the difference being, it was regulated from the beginning, uh, and so they said you have to new, use new casks. You good, know, for I, the, I uh, know. good for the cooperage, right? Yeah, I- exactly, and <laughs> and good for the Scots, as it turned out, because um, what you find so. The Americans didn't, you know, once you use a barrel, you can't use it again, okay? So so they'd sell it off to the Scots. Ah. You know, the Scots used to use sherry casks for the same reason, right? Sherry, they'd, yeah. they'd empty, empty the casks and they had these used casks, so they got them for free, you know, or, or very cheap. Of course, now the opposite is true. Sherry casks are incredibly expensive. Yeah. Um, and because the sherry business has gone down the tubes, they're, you know, so they have to develop these and, and buy them. I mean, we pay... Here's an example. I mean, you can you can buy a a used bourbon cask for fifty pounds, um, right. and a lot of a lot of them you can get for free, you know. But not not as much now, simply because the demand is so high. But say fifty pounds, you want to use we we the last uh, we use first fill sherry casks. First fill meaning it's been used once, used for one fill season of sherry, uh, and we paid eight hundred and fifty pounds. Cask. So, yeah. so there you are. So then, the you, and but, you hang on to it and use it again and again, or? Yeah, well, theoretically, yes. We 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 use it um, twice, and then we use it to to keep. Um, you know, when when we we buy bits and bobs, so we'll buy. Um, well, let me come to that in a second. Let me, let me go back to okay. to answer your question about Willie. So Willie thought. It was a good idea about the blended malt and even a blended, but grain. He he it, he he really didn't think he didn't. He said, "I don't know about this, Don." But he was he he felt guilty, I think, because he had got me all wound up about doing the distillery and I did all of that. Uh, so he he was very polite and diplomatic. He said, "Well, why don't we see?" So we visited several of the the people I flew there, and I said, "I want to do the grain first because no one else is doing grain well." Uh, or, or at all, all really, and if we do it well, we can set a standard, and and there's our reason to be, be right. Okay. So we we went about we, we went to North British Distillery, um, and and they were incredibly supportive. We went to a, a whiskey broker who was a great friend of Willie's. The great thing, so Willie being my partner, uh, is the best thing, uh, is entree to anybody in the whiskey business because. Having been the managing director of McAllen for 23 years, he was incredibly well known, incredibly well respected, uh, and and pretty much the doors were open for us to access yeah. whiskey. Yeah. At, at a at a time 
when you couldn't get a drop of whiskey if you didn't already have it nailed down. So, so he wasn't sure about the grain. Um, and, uh, I just said, no, we, we have to do this. So we did the grain first. Uh, and as it turned out, um, it turned out wonderfully, but Willie was really challenged with it because he had never, he, he didn't have much experience with grain, uh, with, with malt whiskey. All you have to do is knows everything and you can tell everything there is to know. Mm, yeah. You know, but grain whiskey, because it is much softer uh, and less complex, you know, um, figuring out that you need to not only knows it, you need to taste it. Uh, and making it com complex is really a challenge. So anyway, so the, the goal was to make uh, scotch whiskey, blended scotch whiskey, that is complex. Uh, and distinctive and make it different each and every time we make it based on accessing the absolute best casks that are available. Uh, so by definition, we make small batches um, and uh, make the best whiskey we can make each and every time. And so we started by doing just the grain first to see if we could do it. And uh, we sold it only in the United States. We released it in 2014. Um, and then, uh, as a matter of fact, so that moment I had um, in 1987 sitting at the Cayley saying, somehow or other, I'm going to be engaged with Scotland, uh, hopefully whiskey. Uh, I, I, Gail and I went Scotland in. Uh, December, and we went to Hogmanay at our favorite place in Scotland, Champagny, in Linlithgow. Okay. And, and the night before, December 30th, um, 2013, Gail and I were sitting uh, in Edinburgh at our favorite restaurant called The Honors with Willie and his wife, Margaret. Uh, and on the back bar is a bottle of the exceptional grain. And I oh, had this, I had this like moment where I was connected to that moment I had in 1987 as if it was yesterday Yeah. of what I thought, how I felt, what I really wanted. I had no, no real um, plan. I had intention. Okay. But there I was uh, with uh, my wife at our favorite restaurant and then brought a bottle of our whiskey in the back. I'm sitting with, with my partner who had been my mentor at that time. And I just uh, said, there it is that this is what this was all about. Amazing. And the way we got there was the trip. It was the Highland dancing. It was all of these things. Um, I couldn't have told you what it was going to be, but, but at the end of the day, that's why I'm in this business at this point in time. Um, so we talk about, doing what you want to do and enjoying every second of it for, yeah. for the, the journey, yeah. for the journey. And the result is, you know, in, in this case, what's in the bottle. Now for me, uh, now we get back for a second to Lawrence and, and how much we, we, we love Lawrence. Uh, I was halfway through kind of the brands building I had, uh, and I wasn't selling yet in the, in the UK, but I'd always come into London. And uh, on the way into Scotland, and I'd spend a couple of days in London to get, get acclimated. And, and I got back into smoking cigars. And so I came into Souter one day, met the lads, came in the next day, was gone for the next three months. I came back three months later. I walked in the door, and it was as if I hadn't left. <laughs> it was where I'd gone around the corner for coffee. Yeah. You know, it's gone. I always think it's like the Cheers bar, Don, isn't it, in Souter? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you know, you get to what do you do? And I make whiskey, blah blah blah. And I, we, as I say, we weren't even selling there for probably another year or so. Uh, so I brought in a bottle of the whiskey. Everybody loved it, and we were chatting. And I don't know, somewhere along the line, the next few times, um, Lawrence said, um, "Gosh, would you be willing to to you know blend a barrel of whiskey uh, for me?" And and it, it didn't really make commercial sense and not only in the sense that any energies you put against mm. projects that don't fit what you're doing it just takes you know time and resource but on the other side of the coin 
it's it's why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, to to be with people, talk, enjoy it. And where else would you rather be than sitting in, in Souter, smoking a cigar with a group of friends, and to be able to point up on the shelf and say, "Oh, and I made that whiskey." Yeah, right? yeah. So I will tell I will tell you that 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 bottling uh, for Lawrence is 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 the best whiskey I've made. Um, it it is absolutely stunning whiskey. Um, and so we made a barrel, uh, and, uh, there we are. And, and through all of this, you and I met. Yep. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I get exactly what you're saying. I mean, I, one of those moments for me was the book launch, which was obviously a culmination of a long, long, long road in a similar way, which, um, I was, I was privileged to have you with, with, with me for that. Um, and yeah, you're right. You sort of look back at these things and you, it, it's incredible that you marvel at how the sort of labyrinthine way that you found your way to where you are now and good things happened and bad things happened and people came and some people went. Um, and it, that's all part of life's great, great journey, isn't it? And if you can't, you know, appreciate that the here and now, whether that's, you know, a fish and chips and a cup of tea um, somewhere nice or, as you say, drinking whiskey in a great club and having a great cigar with someone, you know, if you just, all you ever have is eyes for the horizon, you're never going to be happy, are you? Yeah, no, that's exactly. I mean, I will tell you, uh, so I managed a tobacco shop when I was at university. I loved tobacco and cigars. Uh, and, and and, and then, you know, then I became a bartender while I was still at school and I, and, and it's, all the things that kind of got me involved. And, and I come back to cigars uh, and, and I stopped smoking cigars probably for 20 years simply because right. it, it was so difficult. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't easy. I traveled a lot, uh, most, almost exclusively that time in the U S and you didn't have Cubans. And, you know, when I started in slow, so I was managing a, a shop, a, a cigar shop, a pipe and cigars in 70, I guess, 72, 73. Uh, and, and at the time, so the, the new world cigars were just really being developed. Right. Uh, and, uh, I've got a great story, you know, about, uh, Hoya de Nicaragua. I, oh, I, yeah. may, I, I may have told you this, but, but so, <clears throat> um, my grandfather smoked cigars, which is, I think, what always appealed to me. You know, I'd follow him around when I was a little guy, you know, and he'd always have a cigar in his mouth. And he smoked House of Windsor, which were like, I don't know, 20-cent cigars. You know, he'd buy a box. And, but it, it always reminded me about the grandfather. And so uh, so I was managing this tobacco shop, and I was getting into cigars. And one Christmas, um, I I, I wanted to do this so bad that I, I bought a box of Hoya de Nicaragua cigars mm-hmm. and, and gave them to my grandfather for Christmas. And I was just, I, I just was so proud because I thought, boy, I'll give him some really good cigars. So uh, shortly after that, my brother and I went to visit him uh, and we had dinner. Uh, after dinner, we walk out to the, 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 uh, living room and sat down and he goes into the closet and he brings out this box of cigars and he and he walks to my brother and he opens up this box of cigars and my brother looks at it and he said hey to nicaragua so when did you smart start smoking good cigars and and he said uh, he said oh well donald gave me these for christmas and he said <laughs> and and he took a cigar my, my brother and my grandfather was coming over to me and my brother said you know how much these cost and and at the time, again, it, it was less. I'm sure it was less than two dollars because this yeah. was not in the '70s, right? But but two dollars versus twenty cents. You know? <laughs> uh, and and so, so my brother said, you know, those costs, those are like two dollars a cigar. My grandfather stopped in his steps and he looked at me and he looked at my brother and he walked back over to my brother, took the cigar out of his hand, put it back in the box, walked back to the closet, took out a box of uh, House of Windsor. Brought it back over and said, "Here, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant." And did he keep them for himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, he, so, so he smoked them on special occasions. Oh, uh, that's a lovely he, story, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a great story. But so, um, I started so when I came, started coming back in 2010. You know, actually 2008. I started coming to the UK a fair amount, but I started smoking 
Cubans again. And I said, oh, man, I really love this. And I will tell you, just as you and I were talking about, you know, enjoying those experiences, there is a time that I smoke a cigar that I don't consciously appreciate how great it is to be smoking a cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it is such a, we're so fortunate to be able to enjoy those experiences. And as I've been involved with um, craft products, and craft to me is uh, a product that is made by someone uh, who does it as their livelihood, who works at it, gets better at it, he continues to do it, and, and there's a passion and, and a story to it. There yeah. is no more, I mean, I make craft whiskey, I, you know, um, you, there are a lot, there's craft in everything. But I would suggest that the cigar, particularly Cuban cigar experience, is probably the ultimate craft experience. Every single cigar is, is, is made, <laughs> you know, by hand um, and, uh, and comes through a field from a farmer who is doing, I mean, and, and that you can smoke that for the price it is uh, and have had some people lovingly, intentionally, authentically creating this experience for you. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know no. how you can, how you can um, not appreciate it's a, that. It's a, no, it's a little mind-blowing, isn't it, in a way? Um, in the same way that we, you know, as, as I said about you, if you sit and ponder how you got to where you were and the people you met and how you, you know, sometimes life's weirdest coincidences that thrown at you in the same way in the cigar, really, how it ever ends up in your hands um, and to be smoked by you is an extraordinary coincidence that really, and it's a culmination of all those people's work. And I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, what, what is a, what is a good day at home when you, you know, you know, you're going to be around the weather's, you know, sickeningly usually great. What is a good good cigar day for you, Don? Well, so my favorite cigar, timing-wise, is late morning. It's right about now. You know, it's got close to 10 o'clock in the morning, right? A cup of coffee, sitting out. I've got a little courtyard right in the front, you know, in my front of my home. And uh, I sit, have a cup of coffee, and spend an hour just enjoying it. Now, I... I also am very fortunate that I get to do my work there because that's my office. You know, I yeah. sit there with my computer, my iPad, and I do a lot of my work there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this last three months, obviously, we've been locked down. So, you know, Gail and I will go out for a walk, uh, you know, have a little lunch. I'll, the one thing that's different now uh, for me cigar-wise is I'll, I'll quite often now smoke two cigars in a day. Um, okay. And they used Used to be, I would if I could, I would smoke one a day, and I didn't always because if I was doing things and being out and about, I wouldn't get to it. Um, but so I smoke a cigar every day now, and it's generally at ten or eleven in the morning. Um, it's a perfect time. It's great with coffee, uh, and your palate is is really prepared. That's the great time for your palate. I learned this in the in the whiskey and the cognac business. Yeah, there's the time the time you do tastings is uh late morning it's uh when your palate is the freshest uh and it's it's you're starting to develop some hunger so your taste buds are are kind of getting ready you know and so that's a great time for your palate um so i enjoy that i'll i'll come back i'll do more work and i'll late afternoon if i can i will enjoy another cigar now i don't i don't often uh, smoke them at night Yes, I remember you saying that. Now that, that's unusual because I do tend to smoke my cigars, you know, at the end of the day. For you, what? It's uh, just something you've never done. Well, no, I've done, no, I've I've done it quite often. Uh, <laughs> I just mean at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, exactly at home. Well, well, part of it is, um, I guess it's it's twofold. Uh, one is when you smoke late at night. Uh, you go to bed, you wake up, it's as if you had just been smoking, you know, there's still a lot of it left the next morning. It's kind of like alcohol in the same way. I, the older I get, the less tolerant mm. my body is to alcohol. Um, and, and so I feel it when I, when I drink yeah. the next, next morning usually. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I've never 
consumed a lot of alcohol, but um, so so I find if I smoke earlier in the day, it works its way th- its way through, so that it's not I don't have leftover and and, and such, and and so that's part of it. And I, the other part is I I don't often eat the when I'm home now big meals at, at, at dinner. You know, we, we generally eat pretty light and relatively early. Um, and I mean, the time for, you know, at night is if you've had a big, wonderful dinner, uh, you know, and you smoke something that's got some, you know, it's got some punch to it with, with some whiskey. Uh, and, and so it it out. Um, and so I just find, as I say, it's, it's more pleasant for smoke during the day, you know, yeah, I can understand that. And that's the beauty of it. You find what works for you, don't you? Um, yeah. And I mean, so before we before we let you get on with your day, t- what sort of cigars are you enjoying at the minute, Don? Well, uh, I, so my usual cigars, my, probably my, my favorite regular cigar uh, would be a, a specially selected. Um, I, I, I find that to be just the cracking cigar every time I smoke it. Yeah. Um, I, I, just now, and I, as, um, I was planning to smoke while we were doing this, but unfortunately they were building something across the street from me. And so I couldn't sit out and enjoy it, but, uh, I've come across, uh, some, um, Poya de Monterey Grand Epicures. 2013 limited editions uh, bought a couple boxes that I had bought it several years ago and put away. And I kind of came across them and, and about, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I pulled it out and, and started smoking them. And they're absolutely, it, it's probably one of my three favorite cigars. Yeah. I smoked one the other day and um, yeah, if you could have a sort of, endless rotor of those it would be your daily smoke forever wouldn't it yeah yeah no that's exactly that's exactly um so so that's that's i've come across and then i smoke a, a pretty i try to keep a nice little range my usuals are uh, you know i'll do uh, as i say especially selected um uh, epicure twos and partagas fours and uh, Monte Cristo Petit Tubes. Those are kind of my rotation cigars. Right. right. And then, then when I buy kind of the specials, like I just said, the Grand Epicure, and I've put them away, and I'll, I'll start working on the specials now and again, you know, type of thing. So, so I, you're, I not, still, you're not a smoker of enormous cigars like uh, a certain Mr. Davis? No. No. I, no, I find them, um, you know, as I said, I, if you're sitting at Souter, uh, smoking, you know, um, a pig, that's great. But, you know, at the end of the day, my jaw can't handle those, those huge cigars. Although, you know, 54s are fine. 52 yeah. is 54. Are, are I think a 54 good. is about as big as you really want to go, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. I mean, the other's a project after that, you know? Um, yeah. but, but, uh, uh so yeah, 52s, 54s are good. And, and I like, you know, I've been smoking some uh, Magnum 46s. I enjoy that quite a bit as a mm. as a kind of smaller cigar. But yeah. I I really uh, enjoy um, cigars, and I, I I if 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 we could do Cuban business in the U.S., I'd probably be in the cigar business here because I I really I love cigars, but I am very much a Cuban fan, and right, and it's not that I don't appreciate the new world cigars. Um, and I think they're, they're pretty much all of them are, are good, but over the, you know, I spent 40 years kind of figuring out the things I enjoy and like, it's kind of like my whiskey. Um, you know, people will ask, gee, what's your favorite whiskey? You know? And I say, well, listen, you know, don't take this as if I'm just saying mine's the best, but my whiskey is why? Because, because I made it for, or my palate, I, exactly. you know, and, and I have three different styles and, and I, you know, I've, I've bottled seven bottles so far, so far. And, and they're seven, the seven best whiskeys I've ever tasted. <laughs> now, again, <laughs> that, that, that sounds self-serving, but the fact of the matter is I made them all to my palate, right? 
and and so they are are really wonderful because they they serve my palate. Now yeah. I'm not saying yeah. quality quality wise they're the same as all of the others, but stylistically they're exactly what I like. And <laughs> I like whiskey that that is is just like cigars, good Cuban aged cigars that evolve, that tell yeah. a story. Right, it has a, a middle, you know, uh, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and that's how my whiskeys are. And, so you so, blended all these whiskeys, so you'd have an endless supply of your favourite whiskey at home. That's genius. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, you're kind of always torn. Business is bad. Oh, good, more drink. You know? <laughs> well, listen. When you when you get over here, we might have to try and recreate that um, that wood fired dinner of some sort. I've got a couple of ideas of what I could I could rustle up for you and uh, and cook you something up. And I would love to share a coffee and a smoke with you in California one day as well. Absolutely brilliant. I look forward to both of those things. Lovely to talk to you, Don, and um, keep, keep in touch. Love to Gail, and uh, let us know when you're coming over. Will do. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Bye. The lovely Don. Great to have him on. I'm so pleased we finally managed to get him. Uh, we've talked about it for a while and never got round to it. So it's cracking to have him on and just uh, hear that story about how he fell in love with Scotland and, and whiskey. And that amazing just that feeling when he landed on that ancient soil and said this is something I need to do for the rest of my life and fabulous and so his whiskey which I didn't tell you which I should tell you the exception is available at Souter of Mount Street um, and also uh, the Souter blend that Donald made for uh, Lawrence and for Souter is also available and I have to say without a word of a lie they are stunning whiskies as he says um, and Don's also great friends with Alessandro at uh, the Duke's Hotel in London. Many of you will know, one of the best known barmen in town, lovely man. And, um, and we've had some fun together with Alessandro as well. Uh, and he is a huge fan of The Exceptional, so that should tell you all you need to know. That's it for this week, folks. It only remains as ever to tell you about my book, Around the World in 80 Cigars. A travelogue featuring the sorts of people you've heard today and before, and the sorts of places you might never have been, or perhaps even heard of, and in some cases even dreamt of. Amazing people and places, and some great cigars to go along with it, is the order of the day if you get to read my book, which I would recommend, of course. You can get the book www.nick-hammond.com and if you would like your own personal signed copy, I would be glad to send one to you. Just email me, nick at nick-hammond.com. The book is also available from all good cigar shops, all good bookshops. Contact your brick and mortar, get them to order it in for you, help them out. They need all the help we can give them at this time uh, and they'll get the book in. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you're all in good form. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend. Whatever you're doing, look after each other. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.